How's it going, folks? How's it going? I'm Brother Matthew, and this is Christian Coffee Time, where we sit down together to study the Word of God. And here we are, yet another weekend. Man, it just seems like just like two days ago, we just uh, <laughs> did a uh, weekend Q&A, Saturday Q&A, but here we are again. So thank you so much for joining in. God bless you, folks. I guess that's it for the day. No. <laughs> you know, sometimes I get in a rhythm uh, because I say the same thing uh, at, at the beginning and, and the, the, the conclusion uh, phrases come into my mind. So I don't know. I'm joking with myself. I'm tired. I'm not making any sense. Okay, here we are. It's one of those mornings, one of those mornings, it's a groggy morning. Yeah, I'm having quite a few of those lately. It's just, it's the weather, it's the season. It's as miserable out, it's as gray out, and it's just, uh, it's just, I don't know, it affects your sleep. I don't know, it's the time change too, which I am so looking forward to uh, next spring. Uh, apparently, it's what I've been told, uh, it's now official uh, that they have finally, finally decided to do away with daylight savings time changes. That uh, That next spring is going to be the last time that they ever uh, do the daylight savings thing. Uh, next spring, they're going to do the spring forward thing, and it's going to stay that uh, forever. So that they're never, it's never going to go back and forth. It's never going to change again. So I'm really looking forward to that. That is awesome. So, <laughs> all right. So here we are. So if you got any comments, questions, issues, insights, debates, topics, whatever have you, go ahead, fire away. Be glad to hear from you. I've got a few things on the board we're going to be discussing, uh, some interesting stuff, some good uh, discussion, and some rather shocking uh, things uh, to just bring up again. <clears throat> so I hope you're ready for a good study, so please grab your Bibles, notepads, and pens. And again, yes, if you've got any questions or topics, discussion topics, anything you'd like to just hash out, go ahead, fire away in the comments. Be glad to hear from you. All right. So, uh, before we get going, I just want to mention it again. <clears throat> now, here at Christian Coffee Time, we have a few different options for people in regards to uh, gospel tracks and, and whatnot. Uh, <clears throat> uh, it, in the Christian Coffee Time uh, Etsy shop, we have uh, where you can uh, purchase a packet of tracks. That, uh, that the point is that it helps support the ministry as well. We also have uh, where you it's like 25 cents or something. You can purchase the downloadable PDF. So you can, you can keep the PDF and print up as many as you want. Those are options just to help out the ministry. Or uh, if you go to our website, christiancoffeetime.ca, at the top of the page, you'll see a link, downloadable gospel tracks. Where it's free a, a free link to uh, uh for gospel tracks you can get the pdf and you can print off as many as you want you keep the pdf you can hand the pdf around send the pdf around so other people have it so they can uh, get tracks themselves and the tracks are these ones it comes with the the gospel explanation with the secondary one jesus is god reproves the deity of jesus christ i call them the double barrel gospel track that's what I call them. So you give them a good old double barrel. So uh, 
making it as easy for you as possible so there's multiple options uh, so there's no excuse why you can't get busy handing out gospel tracts yourself it's as simple as anything and uh, i'll just go over it this is my personal technique i'm a street preacher an evangelist uh, public enemy number one i'm not even joking uh here in canada i'm an outlaw so i should get that on a shirt i'm an outlaw because i'm a preacher I should get that on a shirt. Anyways, so when you're handing out gospel tracts, uh, you run into a lot of problems. Some people are very uh, put off by any form of interaction. They don't want to talk to strangers. Or if they see you with pamphlets of any kind, they don't want anything to do with you. They think you're like a salesman or something. So you're going to run into that. But if you want to increase your chances of proliferation of, of uh, scriptural literature, uh, there's a technique you can use. Um, this is the Christian coffee time technique. So there you go. Um, I've tried multiple different approaches, techniques, uh, options, and I found that this is by far the the best one. Um, I I've done studies in psychology and uh, human uh, behavior, behavioral analytics, all this kind of stuff. Anyways, I found that a hu uh, a an interaction with two people, uh, your your chances are of being able to interact are within the first two seconds, two to three seconds if if uh, if the person's in a really good mood, but generally uh, up to two seconds on first interaction, uh, the person will choose to either engage or disengage and walk away. So you have like two seconds to get their attention and to be able to reel them in. Now, if you walk up to a stranger and you're wearing Christian uh, uh, material, wearing Christian shirts and whatnot, they're immediately going to associate you as that and they're not going to interact. So if you actually want to have a higher chance of spreading gospel tracts, you want to kind of blend in with the crowd. So you wear just regular street clothes or whatever. Now, if um, if you if you're going to be handing out tracks, if you hand the track out like this, and they you hand it like this, the person's going to see what it says, and they're not going to have anything to do with it. And they're going to walk away, right? And they're going to read the words. So when you hand something out, the 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 time goes up to about two to three seconds uh, of engagement before they choose whether or not to take part or go away. If you hand it like that, they're going to read that and they're not going to take it. If you hand it like that, the thing is the mind, the mind will notice that there's words. It's not focusing. The mind, the mind, uh, the mind's gonna notice that there's words, and the person before engaging, they'll sit. You hand and say, "Hey, I've been handing these out. Did you want one?" They're gonna say, "Oh, what is that?" And they're gonna lean in and read it before choosing to accept it or not. So they're gonna read it and they're gonna notice Christian words. They're gonna notice religious words, and they're like, "No, no, no, thanks," and and they'll go away. Upside down and backwards. It's that simple, upside down and backwards. Because what happens when you hand it backwards and upside down, the human behavior becomes awkward. You feel awkward, 
and you don't really want to stand there and stand around and talk to a complete stranger on the street especially if you're on your way somewhere and that's just how it is so you walk up to a person and you and you go to hand these out and you hand it like this what they're gonna do is they're gonna is they're gonna see that they can't read it quick enough so they'll choose subconsciously to read it later so just take it okay thank you and they'll walk away upwards to a 90 percent success rate i have personally found myself i have found upwards to a 90 percent success rate upside down and backwards it's that simple now how to engage the person to draw them in so they'll take the track i've tried multiple different phrases and things just to get their attention and what i found that, that works really well is this little catch that i do i say hey i've been handing these out did you get one that phrase right there now what you do the first bit hey and you see a person you smile and say hey a person unless they're in an in a in a regular bad mood or something they're not going to say hey back but generally 90 plus percent of the time the person will smile back and say hey back that's just human behavior an instinctive response so you go hey and they go hey and i say i've been handing these out did you get one now that phrase right there i've been handing these out did you get one what that does is that subconsciously plays in their mind that you've been spreading these around and they are missing out this person is missing out on what everyone else already has they don't want to miss out they want to be a part of the group so they will take it and subconsciously they are already reaching out to take it before they even realize what it is or anything before you even have a time a time to to examine it so you go hey i've been handing these out did you get one upside down and backwards just like that hey i've been handing these out did you get one It has such a high success rate of proliferation. I, I swear, try it. Try it. I challenge you to try it. Just get some tracks, hold them upside down. Because if you're also holding the tracks like this, and you go to hand it out and it's upside down and backwards, they're going to look at this other and they're going to see what it is. Upside down and backwards. Upside down and backwards. The whole thing. Or you keep the packet in your pocket you take one out upside down and backwards you go hey i've been heading these out did you get one and they'll take it grab another one and do it again and again and again in one day a couple years ago one day uh our uh there's a, a city next to us was having a huge fair was having a huge festival and I, I went over on that day to do some street preaching i took i took huge bundles of tracks and in in just what was it uh about an hour and a half two hours an hour and a half two hours i handed out over 700 tracks using that technique over 700 gospel tracks i handed out in just an hour and a half two hours using that technique hey i've been handing these out did you get one i could hardly roll it off my tongue people were coming up to me to get them because they saw other people were getting them i was just handing them out walking down the side or handing them out i swear it, it, it it's that easy just hey i've been handing these out did you get one just upside down and backwards and they'll take it 
So there you go. On our website, again, on our website, we have free downloadable gospel track PDFs. All you got to do is click on that and, and save the PDF, get a printer, or go somewhere that has a printer, a library or a print shop. Take the PDF to the library or print shop, and they can print it out for you. And, and you can print off the gospel tracks. You just cut them out, fold them yourself, and just go for it. And you, and you have as many as you want. Now, I personally wrote these gospel tracks. I wrote the, wrote the gospel. I wrote the Deity of Christ one. I put these together. This is Christian coffee time material, and it's free. As you can get it for free on our website. There's a link there. If you want to help support the ministry, we have uh, other options in that way to do that, as all donations go to providing Bibles, tracts, and uh, support to other evangelists and missionaries uh, that, and for the furtherance of the ministry. So there you go. Um, if you got any questions on that, if you want any more tips on how, how to evangelize, that kind of thing, let me know as well. Please check out uh, in our playlists. I have a whole playlist on witnessing and evangelism. Uh, evangelism 101 series on, on uh, tips on how to evangelize, how to give the gospel, how to explain the gospel, how to witness, how to hand out uh, tracts and material about uh, uh, gospel, apologetics, all that kind of thing. So if you got questions on that, let me know. All right, so there we go. That's that. So again, you, there's no excuse. There's no excuse. Get busy. If you don't know how to debate, then don't debate. But at least carry gospel tracts. It's that easy. It's so easy, a Christian can do it. There you go. All right. Um, now, all righty. Um... Where'd I go from here? Right, again, if you have any comments, questions, issues, insights, discussion, topics, whatever, go ahead, fire away in the comments. Um, the next thing I want to talk about is something that came up yesterday in yesterday's broadcast. There's an individual who kind of uh, got their nose at a joint over something that I said in yesterday's broadcast. Um, I was talking about condemnation and i'm talking about the flesh i'm talking about sin and all this and this person opposed me they messaged me later and told me that they massively disagree with me and they're going to be unsubscribing from this channel because they disagree with me um now what i was talking about if you i told the person go back rewatch the whole video and i i seriously doubt that they did because what they kept railing on about had nothing to do with what i was actually talking about now, I made sure to make a, a, a distinction, to clarify, to be very specific in that born-again Christians cannot be condemned to hell. You cannot lose your salvation. There is no spiritual condemnation upon born-again Christians. What I was talking about was the was the condemnation of the flesh in regards to that the wages of sin is death and that uh, that because of the sin of the flesh we will die and because of the sin of the flesh uh, we uh, the flesh will oppose the spirit and all this kind of thing and how if Christians uh, become like uh, Ananias and Sapphira or First Corinthians chapter five verse five is what we're going over. Uh, there's discipline he who defiles the temple him shall god destroy and this also applies to christians and how our flesh can be destroyed and we see uh judgment and chastisement can come upon the flesh but not the spirit i was very clear on that but the person wouldn't listen and they went off and uh, tried to tell me off and i 
told them off in the broadcast and uh and all of that so anyways i wanted to clarify again in case there's any misunderstanding i am not saying that christians can be condemned that christians are damned that christians can lose their salvation and that kind of thing i never said that never implied that and and if in any way shape or form that you kind of got that impression off of me i'm sorry that was not my intention um uh, please don't misunderstand me i thought i was very clear in what i was saying so if you have any questions on that please do not be afraid to ask away ask for clarification any of that kind of thing i was talking about the distinction between the flesh and the spirit that in romans chapter 7 the flesh is condemned the flesh is full of sin and we see in scripture that the soul is saved the flesh is not the flesh is not saved the flesh is not saved the flesh is corrupted by sin it's appointed to men once to die and after this a judgment and the sin opposes the sin of the flesh the flesh opposes the spirit and the spirit opposes the flesh and that's what i was talking about and how the flesh is condemned to die the flesh is condemned to die but the soul is saved and will be with the lord in death so that's what i was talking about so i just wanted to clarify that again um now take that off the board so i don't forget now again this whole process of what i go through when i'm doing my bible study series i'm doing my discussions i try to um consistently use two methods uh the the berean method and uh, i call it the christian coffee time method which is the clear interprets the unclear the clear interprets the unclear I i'm just saying that that i call it the christian coffee time method because i'm just being honest i personally have not seen another apologeticist or teacher actually use this method or explain this is how they use this how they study so if someone else uses the same method okay fine but uh, and, uh, that's great let me know i'd be glad to hear if someone else uses the same kind of method the clear interprets the unclear the clear interprets the unclear um <clears throat> now what the bible says very clearly will help you to understand difficult or confusing passages passages that would be unclear and you use these to help you to understand what this passage is not saying like how we see Ephesians 2, 8, 9, we're saved by grace, will help you to understand that James 2 is not talking about a salvationary sense, where it's not talking about works to earn your salvation. So clear interprets unclear. And uh, in this, learning the specificity of Scripture. Now, the Berean method that we also use, uh, the, the what, the how, the why, the what, the how, the why of Scripture, this is very important and this really helps us to understand clearly what the bible talks about and we also offer these on bookmarks and all that kind of stuff if you want them or posters or whatever on our etsy which you can get through our website uh, the bible study method of the what the how the why and so the first is interpretation application demonstration so the what of the narrative so to understand the word of god let's use as an example let's go to john 3 16. take your bible please and turn to john 3 16. i want to show you how, how it's used so 
Understanding the specifics of scripture, we see interpretation in John 3.16, Jesus is talking to Nicodemus who came to Jesus by night, and he's explaining salvation, explaining the gospel. So the what of the narrative, uh, what's being said, who's involved, and, uh, and uh, what is being discussed, the specific words, okay? So, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish with everlasting life. So we get the what of the narrative, the what of the context. What is the face value of this passage? What is being said? All right. Then what you do is you back up. You go back, uh, uh, back a couple verses and you go over it again slowly. Now you explain how it's being said. The specific words and pictures and images. You Now you pay really close attention to the very specific chosen words of the narrative. Uh, why did they say it that way? So how is it being said? How else is it paired with the rest of the Word of God? How, how does the word, word of God and other passages talk about this? Pairing scripture with scripture, rightly dividing the word of truth. Line upon line, precept upon precept. So the how of the words, what is the meaning of the pictures and images of the text, and how can it be paired the rest of the word of God? And then you go to the, the, the final point of demonstration, the why, why is this important? Now, how can I go uh, live it, speak it, think it, do it? Now, where is this backed up in the word of God? We take a look at 2 Timothy 3.16. 2 Timothy 3.16. And 17, all scripture, all scripture. That's not the Calvinistic all, where, where it actually means just a, a specifically chosen bit of scripture, but actually means all the scripture. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. So did you notice what it says here? All scripture, that's Genesis to Revelation. All scripture is given. Given in the Koine Greek means theonoustos, meaning God breathed. God breathed. All scripture is God breathed, meaning God literally spoke it all. He inspired it all. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. God taught it. God gave it. God instructed it. God spoke to his servants and told them what to write. Okay? All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for proof, for correction, for instruction, of righteousness in all aspects, in all aspects, that the man of God may be perfect. Now, some newer Bible translations actually change that word, the word perfect, uh, to, uh, I forget what it is, something equipped. Uh, well-equipped or something i forget what it is but it's actually uh, quite limited and it ha and it doesn't even come close to the actual meaning that the word perfect does because the word of god is perfect it perfectly equips us so that uh, the man of god may be perfect thoroughly furnished unto all good works now you hold on to that and you go to its brother passage over in second peter chapter one 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 to 21. Knowing this first, so first and foremost, before anything and everything, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture, it's from Genesis to Revelation, no prophecy of the scripture 
is of any private interpretation. It's not open to personal interpretation, and it didn't come from the opinions and feelings of men, because it came from God. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of men, but holy men of God spake as they are moved by the Holy Ghost. And the Spirit of God moved upon them and inspired them what to write, and they wrote down what God was telling them to write. And it's not open to personal interpretation, and it's not the, the opinions of individual men, but it's actually from the very, from the very mind of God. <clears throat> so it's our job to understand the what, the how, the why. Now we go over to Acts 17.11. Acts 17.11. Acts 17.11. These were more noble than those of Thessalonica, the Bereans. You back up and you see us talking about the Bereans. These were more noble than those in Thessalonica, in that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily, whether those things are so. So the Berean method is as someone speaking the word of God, you eagerly, you eagerly hear it as the word of God. But you don't accept it fully yet because you want to make sure because anyone can stand up and read and, and read a passage or quote a passage. It could be anyone from Charles Spurgeon, D.L. Moody, or it could be a false prophet like Kenneth Copeland, or it could literally be Satan like in Matthew chapter 4, uh, uh, quoting passages of scripture to try to deceive you by pulling it and twisting it out of context. So you, you hear it as the word of God, but then you search it double check it triple check it to make sure it's in the right context of the right meaning in the right narrative because uh, some people quote scripture emphasizing certain words and and implying meaning where that meaning doesn't actually uh, apply so we want to be very careful that the word of god is is being properly taught and properly shown now the reason why i'm bringing this up is because we're getting into our next topic uh, before we do, I just want to make sure I'm not missing something. Uh, Jenna says, so we're soul, body, spirit. But what is our spirit? I get that God is spirit, but I don't understand the human spirit. Okay. Um, <clears throat> I think it's in Thessalonians somewhere. I, I can't remember references very well, but I remember the words. It talks about uh, your whole body, soul, and spirit be... Uh, be blessed by Christ. So the, uh, the Bible talks about body, soul, and spirit, and we talk, and we mention this. There's some argument from some where they flip it around, where what I say that the spirit is, some people say, no, that's actually the soul. Whatever. But this is generally uh, uh, what is accepted as the, the definition and meaning when we do studies in Scripture. So we know what the body is obviously we know what the body is now now we look, take a look in the bible we see and god created a living soul so he made adam and he breathed into him the breath of life and he created a living soul now what the body is on the physical plane the soul is on the spiritual plane the soul is your spiritual body the soul is the body for the for for the uh, heaven's plane of existence the spirit 
when we take a look in scripture it talks about the quickened spirit the lively spirit um spirit is your your character your uniqueness your personality that which makes you you that which makes you you um so the individual uniquenesses and characteristics that are manifested through the body and that's the spirit of the person which will which is also seen through the soul of the person your your unique character so that's what spirit is so your body soul and spirit that's that's what I that's how I teach it that's how I see it if you disagree you disagree show me from the word of God what your thoughts are and we'll go from there so I hope that answers that one okay and and force uh, recon asked about evangelism class yes I have a I have a playlist of of a bunch of videos here on our channel on witnessing and evangelism walking you through how to witness how to evangelize how to give the gospel how to street preach and all that kind of stuff all different forms of evangelism witnessing how to hand out tracks the whole thing the different methods and stuff so uh, please check that out uh again it's in our playlist witnessing and evangelism if you have questions on that let me know uh Okay, Rosalie, what about Charles Spurgeon? What parts of his ministry are not biblical? Uh, well, again, it comes down to uh, how you feel, what your opinions are regarding Calvinism itself. Um, now, Spurgeon was a Calvinist. Now, there are different levels of Calvinism. Uh, there's the uber-crazy uh, the not so crazy, then there's a little bit crazy. Um, that's how I word it because I can't remember lepsarianism, sublepsarianism. I don't know what those are. Uh, I can't remember because I because I really don't care. Uh, but anyways, there's certain levels where they get into into Calvinism and then modern Calvinism and then hyper Calvinism, where you see the tulip theories and all that kind of stuff. He wasn't a hyper Calvinist, but he did personally believe in the in some of the calvinistic views of election which i personally disagree with that i would say are not biblical because i've done studies on this i've done talks on this i've made videos on this explaining my reasons why but if you believe that you go ahead that's your choice my personal approach to this uh, my studies of scripture i disagree with calvinistic election i disagree with calvinistic limited atonement i disagree with calvinists uh, uh irresistible grace i say those are not biblical but if you believe that that's your choice i have friends that are calvinists i have friends that are armenians and we all get along because we just shut up about it but uh that's just what I say regarding that. Uh, Charles Spurgeon is a fantastic evangelist and preacher called the Prince of Preachers. Uh, uh, held massive revivals, led tons of people to the Lord, a fantastic man of God. Um, I wouldn't put down his ministry at all in any way, shape, or form. I just might personally disagree with some of his views on Calvinism, but that's about it. All right. Okay, uh, will saved people be judged someday, Rosalie says. Um, now, we have to understand context of judged. Now, in the end, when it's all said and done, when everything's done, and the earth is burned up, and everyone and everything is brought up before the great white throne judgment seat of Christ. Uh, that's all saved all unsaved all angels all devils everyone it will be standing before the throne before the lamb 
and uh, we uh, we will be uh, bowing our knee, calling him Lord, and then the books will be opened, and whosoever's name was not found written in, in the Lamb's Book of Life was then cast in the lake of fire. So all the unsaved will be cast in the lake of fire. All the devils, uh, the Antichrist, Lucifer, and death will be and hell will be cast in the lake of fire. The doors will be shut there. That's done. That's over. And then he turns his attention to us, the saved, whose names are found in the Lamb's Book of Life. And then uh, we will have to give an account for those things which we have done in our bodies, whether they be good or bad. Now, what does that mean? We will not be judged for our sins. Our sins have already been dealt with at the cross. Our sins have already been paid for. We will not be judged for our sins. They've already been forgiven, already been dealt with. But rather, what we're going to be judged, quotation marks, judged for um, is how we cared for the ministry of Christ, how we carried the gospel, how we worked for Christ, how we served the Lord. And this is where rewards, uh, whether gold or silver, or wood, hay, or stubble kind of thing, uh, will be handed out um, depending on your service of the Lord. Now, there's not going to be a judge judgment for sin on the Christians. There are some who say that there is. They're wrong. So, all right. Um... Okay, so there we go. Now, what I want to get to is I was talking about the specifics of Scripture. What does the Bible say regarding the gospel and other doctrines? It's very, 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 very important. We need to know what the Bible says about all these things. Now, um, there's a couple things I just want to go over. Now, we've regularly talked about Roman Catholicism. Now, some religions are easier to mock and bash than, than others. Now, people say, you shouldn't mock and bash other people's beliefs. Really? Really? Are, are you saying that the prophets of the Old Testament were wrong? Was Elijah wrong for mocking Baal worship? Uh, were, uh, were the Israelites wrong for mocking and hating and opposing child sacrifice Moloch worship? Should, should we not mock uh, the Aztec human sacrifice religion? Or what about, what about the crazy Mormon doctrine that says Jesus is the spirit brother of Lucifer, born out of God, having endless celestial sex with goddesses, and you can become the god of your own planet, and there, there are aliens that look like Quakers that live on the sun, and you could become a god of your own planet if you wear your magic linen underwear or how about the jehovah's witnesses who say jesus is michael the archangel and you get to heaven by annoying people by banging on their doors you know okay so we see false religions are made by devils and yes we mock the beliefs we don't mock the people okay even though they sometimes might be absolutely ridiculous like joel osteen or kenneth copeland who i would say is lucifer incarnate but that's just me all right, so we talk about other religions. Some are easier to mock and easier to point out than others. Some are more difficult than others to point out uh, their flaws. Like some Christians really have a hard time uh, seeing how Seventh-day Adventism is a false gospel. The SDA Seventh-day Adventists are not Christians. It's a hyper-pharisaical, law-based uh, cult that was created by Ellen White. And she called herself a prophetess, and she is out to lunch. And their, their entire belief system is centered around works to earn your salvation. And there is a lot in that religion that is unbiblical, but some Christians really have difficulty with that one. But Catholicism is one of the primary ones that we use to point out the flaws and show you how it's wrong and how it's not Christian. Now, I've talked about Catholicism before. 
and pointing out their flaws, pointing out their errors, point, pointing out this stuff. And I've had lots of Christians, uh, professed Christians. A lot of professed, so-called professed Christians call me out and say I'm wrong, don't know what I'm talking about. I've had Catholics come in the, the, the broadcast and whatnot telling me that I'm wrong, I don't know what I'm talking about. Okay. A couple years ago, I went to a secondhand bookstore and I found a Roman Catholic catechism updated 2017 uh, 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 version, the 2017 updated Roman Catholic Catechism. I'm going to walk you through some of their beliefs in their own catechism. Okay, now this part here, if you can see it, you might have to zoom in. Uh, uh, let me try to blow it up here a bit. I'll just do it like this. Okay, so the Roman Catholic Catechism regarding the Eucharist. You know, that's that, that uh, the Roman Catholic wafer cookie thingy that apparently you eat it and you go to heaven. Uh, the magic cookie, I call it. Okay, in this section, section uh, uh, 1413 and down, uh, regarding the Catholic Catechism. Under the consecrated species of bread and wine, Christ himself, living and glorious, is present in a true, real, and sub, uh, substantial manner. His body and his blood, with his soul and his divinity, is in the cookie. <laughs> As sacrifice, the Eucharist is also offered in reparation for the sins of the living and the dead and to obtain spiritual and temporal benefits from God if you eat their cookie. Anyone who desires to receive Christ in Eucharist, com Eucharistic communion must be in the state of grace. Anyone aware of having sinned mortally must not receive communion without having received absolution in the sacrament of penance. You know, the confessional box thing. Communion with the body and blood of Christ increases the communicant's union with the Lord, forgives his venial sins. Look at that. If you eat the Roman Catholic Oreo, your sins are forgiven. That's a powerful cookie. And preserves him from grave sins. The magic Oreo cookie protects you from future sins. Since receiving this sacrament strengthens the bonds of charity between the communicant and Christ, it also reinforces the unity of the church as the mystical body of Christ. Wow, it's a powerful cookie. Church warmly recommends that the faithful receive Holy Communion each time they participate in the celebration of the Eucharist. She obliges them to do so at least once a year. Okay. Because Christ himself is present in the sacrament of the altar. He is to be honored with the worship of adoration. To visit the Blessed Sacrament is a proof of gratitude, an expression of love and duty, and blah, 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 blah. There you go. That's the Roman Catholic uh, Catechism regarding the Eucharist. Now, if I can figure out how to change this. There's one. Let's take a look at this one. Roman Catholic Catechism regarding baptism for the forgiveness of sins. Okay, on the page on the right. One baptism for the forgiveness of sins. Our Lord tried the forgiveness of Sorry. Our Lord tied the forgiveness of sins to faith and baptism. Go into all the world and preach the gospel uh, to, to the whole creation. He who believes and is baptized shall be saved. Baptism is the first and chief sacrament of forgiveness of sins because it unites us with Christ who died for our sins and rose for our justification to that we might walk in newness of life. When we made our first profession of faith while receiving the holy baptism that cleansed us, 
The forgiveness we received then was so full and complete that there remained in us absolutely nothing left to Ephes, neither original sin nor offenses committed by our own will, nor was there left any penalty to suffer in, in order to expedite them. Do you know what that's saying? That says when you get dunked in water, you literally become sinless. You literally become sinless. You have no sin in you. You are completely perfect, sinless, holy is what that means when you get dunked in the Catholic water. All right. Yet the grace of baptism delivers no one from all the weakness of nature. On the contrary, we must still combat the, the movements of concupiscence that never cease leading us into evil. In this battle against our inclination towards evil, who would be brave and watchful enough to escape? Okay, blah, blah, blah. Um, there, so there you go. The Roman Catholic Catechism that says the waters of baptism completely purge you of all sin. There you go. And I think this is one. Oh, that's the Eucharist one. Sorry. I want this one. Whoa. It's a little big. I'm making you dizzy probably here. Okay. Now this is regarding original sin. The doctrine of original sin. How the sin passed down from Adam. Okay. Now this is Roman Catholic Catechism section 405. Uh, although it is proper to each individual, original sin does uh, does not have the character of a personal fault in any of Adam's descendants. That actually the sin of Adam does not pass down to us. It is a depreciation of original holiness and injustice, but human nature has not been totally corrupted. It is wounded in the natural power. So what they're saying is the human nature is corrupted, but you are sinless and you only become a sinner when you act upon the sin nature, it is wounded in the natural powers uh, uh, proper to it, subject to ignorance, suffering, and the dominion of death, and inclined to sin, an inclination to evil that is called concupiscence. Baptism, by imparting the life of Christ's grace, erases original sin and turns a man back toward God. Look at that. You see that? For Section 4 or 5. Baptism by imparting the life of Christ's grace erases original sin and turns a man back toward God, but the consequences for nature weak and inclined to evil persist in, in man and summon him to spiritual battle. There you go. And I think there's one more. Yes, there is. All right. Purgatory. Roman Catholic Purgatory, from the Roman Catholic Catechism on Purgatory, section 954, okay, chapter 3, the final purification or purgatory. This is, this one's good. All right. All who die in God's grace and friendship, but still imperfectly purified, are indeed assured of their eternal salvation. But after death, they undergo purification so as to achieve the holiness necessary to enter the joy of heaven. <laughs> All right, let's read that again. This is funny. After death, so when you die, you have to undergo a purification process 
so you can achieve the holiness necessary to enter the joy of heaven. It's in their catechism. Look at this. People say I'm nuts, but look at it. You're reading it yourself. Okay, section 1031. The church, Catholic church, gives the name purgatory to this final purification of the elect, which is entirely different from the punishment of the damned. Uh-huh. The church formulated her doctrine of faith of purgatory, especially at the councils of Florence and Trent, the Roman Catholic Council of Trent, the Roman Catholic Council of Florence. See that? The tradition of the Catholic church by reference to certain texts of scripture speak of cleansing fire. As for a certain lesser faults, you must believe that before the final judgment, there is a purifying fire. A purifying fire. He who is truth says that whoever utters blasphemy against the Holy Spirit will be pardoned neither in this age nor in the age to come. They also get that one wrong. From this sentence, we understand that certain offenses can be forgiven in this age, but certain others in the age to come. This teaching is also based, section 1032, this, sec, this teaching is also based on the practice of prayer for the dead. Now let's look at this one. Let's look at this one. Um... This teaching is also based on the practice of prayer for the dead. Already mentioned in sacred scripture, therefore, Judas Maccabees, this is, they're quoting Catholic Apocrypha as scripture here. Look at this. Judas Maccabeus. This is the, the Roman Catholic uh, Apocryphal text of Maccabees. Made atonement for the dead that they might, might be delivered from their sin. Okay, that's Apocrypha. That's not even scripture. From the beginning, the church has honored the memory of the dead and offered prayers and suffrage for them. Above all, the Eucharistic sacrifice, so that, thus purified, they may attain the beatific vision of God. Now, look at this. The church also commends almsgiving indulgences and works of penance undertaken on behalf of the dead. Now, look at this. I want you to look at this. There's only one verse in the entirety of the whole Bible that they try to use to justify prayer for the dead. Look at this. I want you to look at something. You see this bottom section here. Let us help and commemorate them. If Job's sons were purified by their father's sacrifice, why would we doubt that our offerings for the dead bring them some consolation? Let us not hesitate to help them who have died and to offer our prayers for them. Okay, look at, look, look, look at this. If Job's sons were purified by their father's sacrifice. You know what's really, really, really funny about that? What's really, really, really funny about that section there? Regarding Job's sacrifice for his sons? His sons weren't dead yet. Go read Job. When Job offered up sacrifices for his sons, intercessory prayers for his sons, his sons weren't dead yet. <laughs> so that's just a few things. Uh, if you want, if you want proof of all this stuff, uh, the Roman Catholic Church is a works-based cult, a works-based cult where you atone for your own sins in purgatory. After becoming completely, perfectly sinless by being dunked in water and pray for the dead. And I haven't even gotten to the Mary worship thing yet, but I don't need to. You saw it for your own eyes. So there you go. Roman Catholic Catechism, showing it, showing it to you yourself. There you go. That, that's, what, that's what they believe. 
They believe in righteous works to earn to gain. Righteous works to earn to gain. They deny grace. They deny uh, grace as so, so, uh, for salvation. That we, They say it's anathema maranatha, an official consigning to damnation, accursed of God. They say it's accursed of God, the doctrine that we're saved by grace. They curse salvation by grace. They say it's not of God. They say it's of the devil. But that's what the Bible flat out says. So there you go. Roman Catholicism. There you go. Right from their own catechism. There you go. Uh, it's sad. It's ridiculous. Unbelievable. Okay. Um, <clears throat> going down through the comments. Force Recon says, are there a list of Bible verses that we must know? If so, can I get a copy of that list? Um, well, I'm not going to say, uh, uh, no, these ones over there rest, but you should know as much scripture as you could possibly get. But, uh, for the start to start when it comes to, as we're talking about evangelism and witnessing, um, uh, you should know sufficient amount of scripture that explain salvation in and of itself how to be saved and what salvation is according to scripture i go over that in great detail in my evangelism and witnessing playlist in the videos in there i i walk you through a bunch of bible verses that very clearly explain salvation memorize those ones so yes i have a list of them in uh that that uh, that playlist in those videos of witnessing and evangelism please check out that that uh playlist and and uh apply that all right, Avul says Glenn Beck on YouTube was talking about the vision, visions the three kids had at Fatima regarding Mary and her prophecies. I was thinking, oh no, the whole time people were being misled. Yeah, uh, that that there was a thing there um, that happened a while while back. Uh, where yeah, things like that happen. Now, what what do we say regarding? visions and miracles and all this kind of stuff that happen in other religions like catholicism and mormonism and buddhism and hinduism and islam where they have different mystic experiences and visions and prophecies like i said what do we say to that does that mean it's of god well what about janice and jambres who who worked huge massive miracles and signs and wonders in the court of pharaoh to oppose moses where did they get their powers where where do the hindu mystics get their visions and experiences from where do the buddhists get their experiences from where do the occultists and witches get their powers and experiences and visions and things from all because all because another religion has supernatural signs and wonders doesn't mean it's of God. It just shows that there is a great power behind it, but it doesn't mean it's of God. So we take a look at that specifically at the doctrines of the religion before we even look at their experiences, and that will help us to understand where their experiences are coming from. So Catholicism obviously is not Christian, is not Christian by any stretch of the imagination. Therefore, that means that there's something else behind the scenes working and has great power to sway the believers, to give them experiences and visions and miracles and signs and wonders. And that would be devils, that there are devils behind it, manipulating and masquerading, all that kind of thing. So those kids had visions. Yes, absolutely. I don't deny that. They absolutely did. They actually did see something manifesting as the Catholic Mary. What was that that led them into into more fervent 
fundamental hold of Catholic doctrine. Think about that one. What would be working? What would be working behind the scenes to 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 strengthen the false gospel beliefs of the people? That'd be devils. That'd be devils. So yeah, yeah. Um. Okay, let's go down through. And there, and in Christ is saying, "I'm denying biblical truth." In uh, Christ uh, again doesn't understand what I'm talking about in the Bible. Flat out talks about the uh, uh, about the difference between the flesh and the spirit. Okay. Rosalie says, "I was raised a Catholic in Poland, and my whole and my whole family and the priest told us specifically to pray to de to deceive family." deceased that'd be deceased family members yeah because again as you saw it in the catholic catechism it flat out says that they're to pray for the dead that's necromancy yep um in christ it may not be common but it's on biblical legalism for sure again you don't know what i'm talking about and again if you're gonna if you're going to uh, say that i'm wrong but offer no biblical context and you again you refuse to listen to anything that i said you cherry picked my message yesterday and you're calling me out as false so you i guess you can just go somewhere else then all right um okay cleave uh says what old testament laws do we still have to follow today all right um Alright. I'm going to reword uh reword your, your question just a little bit. Uh in that uh, to uh, to be biblically accurate and to understand this is not there's not a have to. It's not a have to. As we are no we're not under the law, we're under grace. We're under grace. We're not under the law. We're under grace. So in the in the new dispensation under Christ, uh, as in the age of grace, um, the church age, we're not under the law. We're under grace. So we take a look at Acts chapter fifteen in the Apostolic Council, where the apostles in Jerusalem in Acts fifteen discuss this specifically. Uh, why should we put a yoke of burden upon their shoulders and neither we nor our forefathers could bear? But rather, we should tell them to abstain from uh, pollutions of idols, from fornication, from things strangled, and from blood. Uh, and keep to these things and you shall do well. It seemed good to the Holy Ghost and to us to place no greater burden than these necessary things. Acts chapter 15. So now does that mean we don't have to follow anything in the Old Testament that, that the, the Ten Commandments don't apply? No, 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 no. Okay, so we need to understand that when it comes to the laws in Scripture, that there are two different sets of laws. All right. There's the cultural laws. The cultural laws that define the specific culture, the Jews, the clothes and the food and the certain things they could and couldn't do that define the very culture. Then there's the righteous laws. The righteous laws are the laws that in and of themselves specifically help you to understand what is sin and what is not. Like the Ten Commandments, for example, to help you understand how to define the difference between the holy and the profane, the difference between righteousness and unrighteousness. So there's the righteous laws, and then there's the cultural laws. The cultural laws were done away. We see in Acts 15, we're done away. They're, 
that you can go and have have some good old barbecue pork chops a side of shellfish all you want uh, that that's the cultural laws are done away the righteous laws still apply because we see that the righteous laws of god that these are the things that in and of themselves help you to understand what is righteousness and what is unrighteousness to help you see how you are a sinner and you need to be born again saved so uh it's not that we have to follow it's okay it's a want to not a have to is i want to follow christ because i want to because i love him have to denotes a works-based system we're not a works-based system we're under grace not law and rather what we see is i'm a sinner and i need to be saved and i believe in the lord jesus christ for salvation from my sins and now i want to follow him because i love him because of what he did for me and it's a want to not a have to have to is a works-based religion want to is salvation by grace through faith and the following by faith by uh, by faith and not by sight so to understand uh, the laws regarding scripture, you've got to understand the proper dispensation. You've got to understand grace and understand how it's not a works-based system. And also saying that, saying if I have to, if I have to follow, okay, just reverse that a moment. What happens if I don't? You see, the works-based or the lordship salvationist or the works-based salvationist, all those kinds of types would say, well, if you're not doing it, then you're not saved therefore implying your salvation is dependent upon maintaining fruit that's a workspace system no want to want to now those that uh, that fall short and those that ha uh, that uh, aren't able to or haven't or don't ma manifest fruit but they believe in the gospel of jesus christ and they're saved when did the prodigal son cease to be a son of his father if I could lose my salvation or have it taken away, that then denotes that it's by works to keep it, but it's by grace, not works. So we got to be very specific with our words, very specific with our words, because if we don't get the question right, if we don't get the words right, that will lead us in a flawed angle of looking at doctrines. It's a want to, not a have to. And, and we see by Acts 15, we see in the New Testament how the cultural laws are done away and that the righteous laws are, are, are still applied, but for a specific purpose to help us to understand what is sin so that we can know how to be forgiven. So there you go. I hope that answers your question sufficiently. If not, please let me know. Okay. Amira. Satan appears as an angel of light. That's what I have to say about this Fatima thing. It led them astray. What I've been thinking about all, all yesterday as I have close family that believe in this. Yeah, exactly. Now, this brings up a point. Okay, how can I witness to people in other religions? Let's say I have relatives in, in the Roman Catholic Church. I don't, but how would I be able to witness to them? Well, I could go on at the whole Mary thing. I could go on the whole purgatory thing. I could go at their prayers to the dead and all their rituals, the history of Catholicism. I could do all of that. I could, but what does that benefit? What convicts of sin? What enlightens the heart, enlightens the mind? What will help people to see what is truth and what is not? So what I want to preach is, and what I want to get across to them is not how their practices are all wrong, even though they are, 
but rather what I want to look at is what will save them from their sins. Because Catholicism teaches that you're saved by maintenance of works, maintenance of commandments, and atoning for your own sin. They do not believe in grace. They don't. They don't believe in salvation by grace through faith by belief alone. They limit the work of Jesus Christ and make you have to help him save you. So to them, Jesus isn't God, even though they say he is. They don't actually believe it because they limit his work and make you have to help him and you atone for your own sins, ultimately. Why did Jesus die on the cross then? So what I, what I would approach with, and this is what I've done before, I've led Catholics and Orthodox people uh, to, to salvation before by using this argument. The meaning of grace. Literally, that's what I do. For all religions, Catholicism, Mormonism, Hinduism, Seventh-day Adventism, all the rest of them, Islam, I talk about grace. The very meaning of grace. Uh, the biblical definition and the biblical passages, and I show them what grace is. This is what grace is according to the word of God. According to scripture, this is what grace is. And when I emphasize the meaning of grace, they can't oppose it. They either have to say that the Bible is wrong or their religion is wrong. So we see that grace means the unmerited favor of God. Unmerited favor of God. That I didn't merit it, I didn't earn it, it's not a reward, I don't deserve it, but he gave it to me anyways because he so loved me. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Yeah, well, you, you got to keep the commandments. Not of yourselves, not of works. Romans chapter 4. Without works, you're justified. Titus 3, 5. Not by righteous works. Galatians 2, 16. Not by works of the law. We see it's salvation by grace through faith by belief. Not of yourselves. Not of works. Not of righteous works. Not by the law. Not by commandments. Not by anything else. You're justified by faith. And faith isn't works. Faith, and faith as we see in Hebrews, as it says, faith is the substance, substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So faith isn't works. Faith is believing trust. Ephesians 1.7, Ephesians 1.13. I go over that whole argument and it just destroys their religion. All I do is use this. I don't even have to talk about Mary or their practices or, or the, their dudes dressed as mother wanting to be called father and they sit in wooden boxes and just want you to tell them all your horrible things so they can fill their minds with filth and garbage. It, yeah, it's... It's so simple. We just stick, okay, what is grace? What is salvation by according to the word of God? And we use the same argument on every single other belief system. There you go. Alrighty, let's continue on. Okay, Rosalie says, In devout Catholic families, people and even children have many visions. This is proof they are involved with demons. Um, having visions... I just, as you know me, you should know me by now. I, I'm, I'm a very, I try to be a very specific, technical individual. I'm, I try to be very, very technical, very, very specific. So, uh, I'm a critiquer. Please don't take offense. Please don't uh, take it the wrong way. I, I, it's just the way I am. I, it, I, I have trouble watching movies. Uh, uh, cause so often people say or do something it's like, 
that's not actually how that works and it, i i just i can't help myself i'm sorry but having visions in and of, in and of itself is not a demonic thing even today the lord still does you don't believe me go read some missionary stories go talk go talk to uh, the vast majority of christians today uh, the cessationism the belief that spiritual gifts and the and, and uh spirit uh, uh, miracles like i said don't happen today they, that's completely wrong cessationism is complete nonsense visions still happen now visions in of themselves does not does not mean that that it's a demonic thing in and of itself you want to look at where it's coming from first you want to look at the person's doctrines and profession of gospel uh, what do they believe so you want to examine the thing test the thing to see if it's of god so you come to me and say i've had a vision and i'm wondering if you could help me understand it the first thing i'm doing is i'm going to see where do you stand on the gospel of jesus christ what where do you stand on the word of god because if you say for example let's say you believe that jesus is michael the archangel well your visions are of devils <laughs> clear as that but if you say that no you believe in the gospel of jesus christ according to scripture by grace through faith but belief alone you believe the word of god is the final absolute authority of god and you believe in the born-again christian gospel okay now we can examine this can the vision of a christian still be the product of the enemy yes you could it's possible that's why you now you want to examine the thing what was it about or the details of the vision what did you see uh, what makes you think now the other thing too if you have to ask the question i wonder if this was a vision of god it most likely wasn't because god is not the author of confusion he's not the author of confusion so if you have to say i wonder if it was well then, then it wasn't because if god is speaking to you it's going to be very very clear and abundantly plain and it's not going to be some like fair psychic yeah uh, this hyper generalized kind of thing where you have to go off guessing and wondering what it was and follow the clues yeah that that's that's ridiculous god speaks very abundantly clear and plain and when god speaks it's going to be for scripture by scripture through scripture to bring you back to the word of god because this is our final authority can god still use visions and experiences yes absolutely but it's going to be for the word of god by the word of god and it's not going to be adding to the word of god nor subtracting from the word of god nor changing the word of god so we got to be very careful on how we approach this examine the details the specifics what's going on what did you see i saw jesus oh yeah what do you look like he looked like a, he looked like a white boy with long hair that wasn't jesus <laughs> jesus wasn't a white boy so jesus wasn't some abercrombie and finch model and he didn't have long hair either so details of the vision also must be examined so there you go um but yeah in the in the catholic cult and many other religions yes they have lots of experiences lots of visions lots of things like that uh again that's just the enemy trying to reinforce uh, that that false religion to those people to try to hold them that much more in their false religion that's all that is okay okay amira says yes absolutely brother that is the message that they they need i'm part of a ministry witnessing to catholics and i very very much agree amen amen okay jenna 
uh, says, do you explain to them the blood of Jesus' atonement when you explain to them grace? Yes, absolutely. Uh, uh, what I start with uh, when I'm talking to them is, firstly, I want to reinforce Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. Uh, I make no mention of Mary. I make I don't even talk about Mary. I don't even talk about any any of the other things. I don't talk about anything but Jesus Christ. And, and firstly, just going over, because they say they believe in the deity of Jesus Christ. So what I want to do is I want to reinforce that. Uh, reinforce that that that, uh, that first grasp there. About the deity of Jesus Christ. That Jesus is the Christ, the mighty God manifest in the flesh. And they're like, yes, yes, absolutely. And and that and that he, he is the master of all things. And he is uh, our redeemer, our savior, our king. And they're like, yes, yes, absolutely. And he doesn't need our help. And that's where I go into how he is the atonement, his blood. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. As the Bible says that it's his blood and by his blood, by his name, by his spirit, we are cleansed, that we are washed by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, Titus 3, 5, and not by righteous works, Titus 3, 5. And we see over here in Ephesians 1, 7, we are redeemed by his blood, by the riches of his grace, Ephesians 1, 7. And Ephesians 1, 13, that when you trust and believe in the gospel, you're sealed by the spirit of God. Acts 10, 43, that by the power of his name, by belief in his name, uh, your sins are forgiven. And we see Acts 16, 30, 31, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you are saved. You are saved. Romans 10, 9 to 10, when you confess um, the belief of your heart upon him, you are saved. 1 John 5, 13, when you believe on the name of Jesus Christ, you can know you have eternal life. 1 John 5, 13. John 3, 16, you believe on him, you are saved. You have eternal life when you believe on him. Uh, John 3, verses 3 and 5, you must be born again. Born again, uh, uh, again, is not a, not a uh, uh, not of anything else but by Jesus Christ. We see as he explains this is you're born once physically, you're born of water, you're born of blood, you must be born of spirit. So you see it's nothing of the physical that affects, it's of the spiritual only and it's by Jesus Christ alone. And I go through all that more and more and explaining then uh, hyper emphasizing Ephesians uh, 2 verses 8 and 9 about the meaning of grace and faith according to the word of God and it's not of ourselves. So it's a big argument that I bring in and it leaves them no wiggle room. So yeah. Um, okay, John says, what about the sabbatical day? Not as works, but as wise counsel. Uh, what do you mean by that? Can you just... Can you reword that, rephrase that, like uh, just add some more detail there? What exactly are you looking at in that? Like uh, about, about the whole Sunday, Saturday, sun, Sunday argument thing about uh, uh, whether we should or shouldn't do things on that. Is that what you're getting at? Because when we take a look in the Word of God, uh, regarding the whole Sabbath thing, about holy days and all that kind of thing, well, we also need to go back and see what Jesus says at, uh, at the Last Supper. Whenever you are gathered together, do this in my name. Where two or three, uh, taking, uh, where two or three uh, are gathered together, there am I in the midst of them. Now, what does the Word of God say about us? It says, You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people that should show forth the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. What? Know ye not? Ye are the temple of God which is in you. Ye are not your own. You've been bought with a price. 
So the word of God says that we are believer priests, okay? Believer priests. So we're believer priests and we are living temples of the living God. Ephesians 3.17, that the spirit of Christ dwells in the heart of every believer. And Ephesians 1.13, we're indwelt by the spirit of God. Ephesians 4.30, the spirit of God within us holds us. So we see we're indwelt by the spirit of the living God. John chapter 14, 15, and 16 also goes on to this. We're living temples, believer priests of God, disciples of Jesus Christ. Okay, hold that. Just put a pin in that. Hold that. Go back to the Old Testament. Now, the priests of the tabernacle, the priests of the temple, did they only work doing their services? They're working for the Lord and the, and the temple protocols, the temple stuff and the sacrifices and the, and the offerings. Did they only do that one day a week? Did they only do that one day a week? No. How often did they do that? every day right okay now hold on it also talks about in scripture about the night watch priests they were priests of the night that when the day shift was done they were done for the day the night watch would come in the night priests would come in and cleanse everything prepare everything get everything clean and ready for the morning that's their job. Their job is to mop the floor, clean everything, wash everything down, scrub everything, and, and restock everything, get everything ready for the morning. So the priests of the temple literally worked 24-7, 365 by Jewish calendar. So we see that, that, they, that every day, all day, all night, they were always on duty for the Lord, that they worked for the Lord. Now... We are called in the New Testament under under this dispensation uh, that we are believer priests. Every day is our Sabbath. In everything that you do, even in eating and drinking, dwell to the glory of God. We're not Old Testament. We're New Testament priests. We're New Testament priests where every day is our Sabbath is to be treated like our Sabbath. It, 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 we are not held by a law. We're not, not given by a law. You must take one day off. No, because that was their Sabbath. But every day is our Sabbath. To the priest, every day is the Sabbath. The day of offerings, sacrifices, teaching, instruction, service, prayers, charity were all done uh, by, the, by the priests every day. And they taught the people every day. That's what the priests did. And we are priests. So every day is our Sabbath. So wherever you go, whatever you do, you do it heartily as to the Lord. That, the, that you'll actually note, and you can check me up on this, correct me if I'm wrong. You will see in the New Testament that there is a, there's a repetition of all of the Ten Commandments except one. Did you know that the only commandment of the Ten Commandments that was not repeated in the New Testament is the Sabbath law? Because whenever you're gathered together. It, that the Lord God changes. He has authority to change his word. You've heard of old time it said this, but I say unto you. So we see that uh, that the Sabbath law was actually changed in, in the new dispensation, the new covenant of Christ, because now we are believer priests. Every day is our Sabbath. Now, if you want to observe the uh, uh, 
a Sabbath-like uh, uh, thing where you take one day off, uh, that's fine. That's your liberty in Christ. That's your liberty in Christ, but it's not a law. You don't have to. It's your liberty under grace. Now, is it a good idea to take a day off kind of thing? Well, yeah, health-wise it is. Working consistently seven days a week constantly like that, that, that will take a toll and it's not good for you. You should take a day of rest. A day of rest is strongly emphasized in Scripture. We see the actual principle. It's a doctrinal principle of holy rest. Um, that he, Jesus even took time off, went off into the wilderness with his disciples to get away from everything for a while. He did this a number of times as we read in the Gospels. Uh, take a, took some time. Jesus even told his disciples when he sent them out by twos and threes. And when they came back, he says, now, now uh, come apart and rest a while. The prophets even did that. It's good to take rest. Yeah, so the, to charge your spiritual battery, to uh, charge your physical, to refresh your mind. Yes, absolutely. Rest is important. Taking some time off weekly and take some time off once in a while. Absolutely. But you must understand and keep in mind it's not a law. You don't have to. It's a want to. So there you go. So I hope that answers that one sufficiently. Okay. Now, having said that, I'm going to kind of segue into my next topic. Um, I want to talk about the whole Christmas Easter thing. As brace yourselves because the Easter is pagan people are coming. Um, I just want to go over this. I wrote this this morning and I posted it everywhere. As Apostle Paul used the altar to the unknown God on the pagan idol worship temple mount called Mars Hill in Athens as a springboard to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to the lost, so do we use our holidays like Christmas and Easter and others as opportunities to reach the lost with the saving gospel of Jesus Christ. To oppose this opportunity is to condemn Apostle Paul and join the ranks of opposing the spread of the gospel. Now, I'm not going to go into, well, well, Easter was pagan, it had pagan origins. Okay, nobody does that anymore. Nobody goes to Roman temples and rapes the temple prostitutes and gives them chicken eggs as fertility amulets. Nobody does that. Nobody worships Isis, Horis, and Tammuz and, and the sun god. Nobody does that. And we, as we gather together to worship Jesus Christ, to remember Jesus Christ and his work and his death, burial, resurrection, and we use this opportunity to reach the lost with the saving gospel of Christ. Christ. goodness sakes these people say but the but the easter the time is pagan and we shouldn't be celebrating jesus on this time um the days of the week are named after pagan gods the birthday uh, the birthday thing where, where you have candles make a wish blow that out that's candle magic witchcraft and the chicken bone you, you break the wishbone wishbone that's a divination bone is what it originates from everything is all corrupted so just Come on, we're honoring Jesus Christ. It's about Jesus Christ. It's about his work, his atonement. It's about his gospel. It's about him that's pointing the lost to Christ. And if you're going to condemn and, and oppose the preaching and proliferation of the gospel of Jesus Christ because some pagans did a thing a long time ago, perhaps on this day, then you are seriously misguided and don't know what you're talking about. Okay, so 
as Apostle Paul went to Mars Hill in Athens, Greece. Mars Hill, the temple mount of the pagan gods of the Greeks. He stood amongst the idols of Mars Hill, used the altar to the unknown God as a springboard to preach the gospel. If Apostle Paul can use an altar to an unknown God, I can use, a, I can use an old holiday. And if you're saying I'm wrong, you have to blame Apostle Paul and say he was wrong. So that's all I'm going to say on that one. And if you disagree, you could disagree, but show me how I'm wrong by the word of God. I don't want to hear uh, uh, anything outside of Scripture. I want you to show me from Scripture how it's wrong and how Apostle Paul was wrong to do what he did. Paul said, use me as an example. So I'm using his example of using springboards up things to preach Jesus Christ. So there you go. Okay. So, can Christians use Easter to preach Jesus Christ? Absolutely. 100%. What about Christmas? Absolutely. 100%. Use it. <clears throat> okay. Force says, should we kick people out of church and what to do when they come back? Well, um, context is everything. Uh, context is everything. What are they doing? Uh, if you're having a church service and the door flies open and some trolls come in, they start and they start di uh, disrupting the whole thing. Yeah, grab them by the scruff of the neck and throw them out the door. Um, if you're preaching the, if you're in the pulpit preaching the gospel, some person stands up, starts shouting heresy, and starts uh, proclaiming a, a different gospel. Yeah, kick them out. Absolutely. Um, it's the same thing we do here in the comments. Here, when someone comes in, starts saying nonsensical things. Yep, they get blocked. It's like kicking them out. Um, so context is everything. If, if someone is promoting rampant sin or whatever, yes, they should be approached and rebuked. And if they won't listen to bi biblical counsel by the church, they are to be put out of the church. Absolutely. We talked about that yesterday. Um, if they repent, if they repent of what they did, if they're sorry for what they did and they seek forgiveness for this and they want to uh, be, be back in a part of the fellowship again, yes, absolutely. We accept them back. That's what you're supposed to do. Um, it's not a full cold cut cut off and have never having to do it again. No, that's wrong. We want them to repent and come back. We want them to come back in right manner and right spirit unto the Lord. So if they're repentant of this and they seek forgiveness and they seek biblical counsel, absolutely open arms, receive them back, show, walk them through the word of God and receive them back in fellowship and the joy of the Lord and the spirit of the Lord in right union. We want to make sure also that they understand the gospel and they are saved and all that. So, yes, we accept them back if they are sorry for what they did and repent of this and they seek proper counsel of scripture and fellowship with the Lord. So, yeah, there is biblical precedent for all of that. And we talked a lot about that yesterday, actually. Okay, Wools says, I've had experiences slash dreams in the past with Jesus, angels, Mary. I know uh, what I saw experience was unbiblical. Yes, uh, I know what you're, you're getting at there. Uh, I too, long, long ago, uh, my, especially in my past life, had all kinds of experiences, visions, I saw things, heard things. Um, yeah, and uh, when you look in the Word of God, you be very hyper-specific on the details of Scripture, and you scrutinize everything that comes in, you can see how the devil tries to fool you in many ways. Uh, even some of the, just the, the most minor of details about the thing. Uh, because... 
as you see, the, the devil will try to deceive you. The, the, the enemy will try to deceive you in great many ways. And the, they are able to veil themselves so, so well. But the thing is, here's, here's how to do it. Understanding that, as, according, as Scripture says, Satan is a liar. As Jesus says, Satan is a liar. And there's no truth in him. He is a liar and the father of it. So what does this mean when we look at this? That the, that the enemy is virtually incapable of speaking truth without corrupting it they have to they are absolutely incapable of speaking truth without corrupting it they will always always have a flaw a crack something somewhere some it, it, that that they they just they just can't not they have to they have to twist it they have to corrupt it they have to bring flaws in somewhere somehow even in the most minor thing to try to hide it but there will always 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 100 percent of the time always be an error a heresy a flaw a corruption somewhere in anything the devils are doing only god is flawless only God is flawless. So we use his flawless word uh, to judge everything. Not what I think or I feel, my experiences or any of that kind of thing. Not my senses. Scripture, doctrine, theology, word of God alone. What it says, what it means. And we judge everything by this standard. So yeah. Um, okay. Vool says, what boggles my mind is how, when I saw Jesus in my dream years ago, he was more real than the physical things in this life. Well, yeah, um, that, that's the power of the, uh, of the spiritual plane. Is our reality, our physical plane is very limited. Very limited, uh, very weak in comparison to the spiritual plane. It's a higher dimension as well, so there's just there's that much more vividness and tangibility about it. So when uh, when things of the spiritual plane break into the physical, I'm talking actual biblical metaphysics. Uh, the spiritual plane breaks into the physical plane. It really blows our minds by the clarity and the just the power and the tangibility about it, um, the depth of it. Um, it it's it's more interactive uh in that sense yeah it, it will feel more real you hear people saying that all the time when they have experience like it feels more real that's well technically because it kind of is so yeah it, and it will grab your attention that much more and that and the devils actually will use that aspect they will use that that aspect uh as a as a means to veil what they're trying to get across because the sheer overwhelming nature of the spiritual experiences can sometimes uh, cloud your judgment by overwhelming you and you won't see the flaws. That's why scripture always talks about our minds that will be held captive by the word of God in prayer always. And our, as word is to be written upon our hearts and on our minds and that uh, we're to be calm and still about all things and, and and we are not to be held under the power of anything only god only god and his word is a power that we that that is over us so yeah don't ever let anything just take you by the senses the devils have no truth so they try to play on senses they try to overwhelm your senses so so that you will try uh, try to believe them 
the yeah it, it's it's a whole mess in that way but we got to be careful and we just what does the bible say it's as simple as that what does the bible say it doesn't matter what you saw what you heard what you felt what you sensed what does the bible say but 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 you should have seen it. i saw and heard what does the bible say god will never oppose the scripture and any experience that he gives you will be in line of his scripture for his scripture um and yeah and absolutely uh alistair crowley and many others uh, uh big name occultists uh that that are powers in, in the world um uh, other uh, priests of other religions uh, hindu priests and uh, all these other, yeah they they will say the same kind of thing about these creatures and beings and deities that come to them uh that, that they have such a power that Yes, absolutely. Look at Jude. And, and Michael the archangel was disputing about the body of Moses with the devil. And he dared not bring a railing accusation against the devil. He said, the Lord rebuke you. That's because that's how powerful Lucifer is. They are very, very, very powerful, powerful beings. The angels and the fallen angels are very powerful beings. The angels serve God and God alone and they don't manifest their power over us as a as an authority rather they they manifest the the power of god the authority of god they refer back to god demons try to force their own power in their own ways and satan can appear as an angel of light and can, he can manifest a sense of holiness satan can manifest a sense of purity because he's a liar He's an absolute liar. He's a deceiver. He's a monster. He's a dragon. And so this is how is how he works. He works by deception and delusion. He tries to overwhelm your senses to believe a lie. So that happened to Joseph Smith. When he conjured that fallen angel, they came and taught him the doctrines of Mormonism. The same thing that happened to Ellen White. The same thing that happened to the popes. The same thing that happened to Muhammad. The same thing that happened to all the other cults. Though we or an angel from heaven should preach any other gospel unto you, let them be accursed. Yep. Absolutely. Uh, and uh, how, how can they manifest those kinds of senses? Well, you see, the first big flaw that people have when they, when they approach the whole subject of the demonic demonology according to the word of God is in people's minds when you say a devil they instantly conjure up an image of twisted horned fiery darkness this this hellish monster a monster of hell no it's one thing that actually annoys me when people see a picture of something scary and they say oh, that looks like a devil <laughs> people who say that have never seen a devil They've never seen a devil. Devils don't look like devils, as we know devils. They don't look like that. Now, they can manifest themselves like that, but they don't actually look like that. Do you know what a devil looks like? I'll tell you. I've seen them, and I know what the Bible says about them, too. The Bible actually tells us what they look like. They look like angels of God. They look exactly like angels of God. 
That's what they look like. They look like Michael, Gabriel. They look like the cherubims and seraphims. They look like the, the, the hosts of heaven. That's what they look like. But because they are now fallen creatures, enemies of God, locked in, uh, locked in their condemnation, uh, they are hateful, spiteful, evil, wicked in nature. But their actual physical appearance, I say physical, their actual appearance is that of an angel of God. But they're twisted, lying, deceptive, hateful, spiteful, as the Bible says, evil beasts foaming out their filth. That's what they are. And so when they appear to you, they're not going to appear to you as a monster of hell. They want you to believe them. They want you to follow them. So they come across as nice. You know, like how um, back in the 60s, 70s and all that stuff, we see, you know, the mass murders, the serial killers. A serial killer isn't just going to walk up to you and just attack you outright, but they want to play a game. They come, they approach you, and they they're nice, they're friendly. They come across as warm, and they they just want to spark up a conversation and buy you a coffee. Or you want to go check something out, and they 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 go for a walk with you, and they they slowly lead you, and then they do their deed. They come across. How can serial killers come across as nice? That's how devils work. Okay, John says, how to witness to people who say the Bible is written by man and not God? Well, all right. Now you get into the uh, the proofs uh, of Scripture. Uh, this is a huge topic. Um. <clears throat> How to prove the sovereign hand of God upon the word of God? Well, there's many angles. You can go by the authority argument. Uh, you can go by the archaeological proofs to prove the Bible true argument. You can go by the philosophical argument, the scientific argument. Um, generally, what I tell people when they say these kinds of things, and I'll just say it as, as an answer to your question, uh, disprove it. If you believe it was written by man, then there'll be flaws. Disprove it. Because <clears throat> when you look at all the other holy books of other religions, uh, I, I know people say, well, yeah, they say the same thing. Okay, yeah, I, sure. Okay, bear with me. If you take a look at the Mormon scriptures, it's full of holes. Flaws. It goes back to Joseph Smith, and you can see the errors, the contradictions in it. There are contradictions all throughout the Mormon Mormon scriptures. You look at the, the Quran, full of contradictions and errors, and uh, uh, incorrect philosophies and false science, all kinds of garbage and nonsense all throughout the Quran. Same thing about all other holy books of other religions. Now, when you come to the the born again Christians Bible, uh there are no contradictions show me one did you know i i actually put this on the line a few years ago when this ministry used to be over in periscope i had for a couple months i went a couple months with a with a bet i had a bet 
I, I actually bet I put $10,000 on the line. I didn't even have $10,000, but I, I was, but I'd be willing to pay out at the, the, at that time. I bet $10,000 to anyone who could show me one, just one, one actual, real, biblical contradiction. Not a, uh, not, not just, not just a, a presumption. I want you to show me where it says very clearly this here, and it directly contradicts it over here. An actual, ver uh, veritable contradiction. I went a couple months with a ten thousand dollar bet on the line. Nobody could show me one. Nobody could show me one. Oh, there are people who tried to, where they where they actually took a verse out, out, out of context and twisted it, but they didn't show an actual contradiction. There was nowhere else in the Word of God where it actually went against that. There's There are no contradictions in the Bible. There are no flaws. If it was written by man, there'd be, there'd be man's inability, man's weakness, man's limitation in it. But because it's written by God, it's held, and God says, and he will preserve his word unto all generations. Disprove it. Did you know the Smithsonian Museum uses the Bible as a historical record because, uh, there, because it, is, it is head and shoulders above all other texts and records of the world. It is so trustworthy on a historical, uh, on a, on a historical side. Then you see archaeological discoveries to prove the Bible true, where the Bible mentions places, names, and events, and things that happened a long time ago that they've actually proven the places, people, and events, and things. The, the science of the Bible, it, it, it surpasses our, our knowledge. The Bible talks about astronomy, biology, medical science, all kinds of forms of science that, that, it, that doctors up to about... Uh, uh, 50 years ago were uh, didn't even understand the Bi and the Bible was more advanced the, the Bible talks about DNA it talks about DNA it talks about astro astronomical uh, stuff and the, the things of space that, that people weren't even aware of until more recently there's so much in scripture there's so much and then there's the philosophical and then there's the spiritual arguments uh, that it it stands head and shoulders above everything. It cannot be disproven. It holds its own. And to anybody who says otherwise, I say, okay, then, well, simply disprove it. Find a flaw. Find a contradiction. Find a contradiction. So people who say, well, the Bible's written by men. By far and large, those people are saying that from a purely, purely, personally biased stance, because they just hate God. Not be, They're not saying it because there's actual evidence. There is none. They're saying that because they hate God. They actually have a biased uh, uh, stance against him. There's a reason, there's a purpose, that they're angry at the church, they're angry at God, they're angry at Christians, so they just say this. They're just regurgitating the arguments of stupid people because they just hate God. Let alone when atheists uh, uh, pipe up and say, Jesus never existed and the Bible is, uh, is false. Okay, uh, Richard Dawkins, the Pope of New Atheism, uh, 
was in an actual open debate with uh, Professor John Lennox at Oxford University a few years ago. Professor John Lennox, a born-again Christian, Richard Dawkins, raging new atheist, a master of nihilistic atheism. And and in the in the open debate, which you can watch on YouTube, you can watch the whole thing, uh, Professor John Lennox caught Richard Dawkins uh, in an error, and Richard Dawkins had to retract his statements regarding Jesus and had to confess that he says, Richard Dawkins says, Due to the overwhelming facts and evidences, Jesus did exist. Though he doesn't believe Jesus is God, he did have to admit that Jesus existed due to the overwhelming facts and evidences. And you see by Tacitus and Josephus and many other uh, historians who back up the validity of Scripture. And the Bible talks about Joseph in Egypt and Joseph's, uh, Joseph, Joseph's granaries. Guess what they found in Egypt? Ancient granaries bearing the signature of Joseph on a large boulder commemorating Joseph saving Egypt. Just like the Bible says. And all about the histories of Israel and Egypt and Mount Sinai and, and the crossing of the Red Sea and all the stuff in the bottom of the sea. Just like the Bible says and how Sinai not, is not a volcano but is just a mountain. And the top of, uh, top of Sinai is burnt black from a fire though it's not a volcano. And the Bible talks about the fire of God on the top of Sinai. And, and it talks about uh, the prophet Isaiah and they found the seal of Isaiah dating back 27 hundred years ago to the time of Isaiah and on and on and on and on just like the Bible says and Jesus prophesied that the destruction of Jerusalem and and in 70 AD the Romans came destroyed it and tore down the temple just as Jesus says that not one brick should be left on another and the Romans tore the temple down to not one brick upon another and on and on talking about Nebuchadnezzar they found Nebuchadnezzar stuff they talk about Babylon they found Babylon they, they talk about Nineveh they denied Nineveh even existed then they found Nineveh <laughs> on and on and on then you see the doctrinal arguments, the doctrinal validity, where in every single other belief system in the entire world is a works-based system that contradicts itself continuously in many, many ways. And But when you come to the Word of God, you find that there is no doctrinal contradictions in the entirety of the book. So you see the doctrinal purity argument. So there are many ways you can approach this, but uh, overall, uh, the fact remains that people who just flat out say that the Bible's written by man, not by God, those people are just biased against God, and that's what it comes down to. And in anything you say, doesn't matter what you say, you could have the most flawless argument. They'll just deny it outright because they just don't like God. So you'll have better luck. You'll have better luck converting a brick out of the wall by banging your head on it. So there you go. That's what I say on that one. Uh, uh, Force Recon says, "How do you treat, <laughs> how do you treat ladies when they come to church wearing clothes they wear in clubs?" And they tell you the Bible says, "Come as you are." <laughs> uh, the Bible says, "Come to Christ, not come to church." Um, that's where, if such a thing like that is going on. We have to understand individuals that are like that obviously clearly have a sin problem and they are not in right relationship with the Lord 
even though they may say they are, that they obviously aren't. They're very physical. They're very, they're very uh, driven by their own opinions and feelings, and they do not take the word of God as the final authority. They're using uh, liberty of Christ as liberty to sin. So those individuals, they need a hand of grace. They need a hand of grace, and they need to be approached in meekness and need to be shown what scripture says not as a, not to take this as a, as a fight or as an argument uh pharisees would get all offended and tell them get out of the church and that kind of thing no it's, you want to teach them the truth of christ and the truth of the word of god and we want them to be in right relationship with the lord so we want to approach them in biblical counsel and meekness and gentleness and showing showing them the truth if they flat out refuse biblical counsel and, and biblical approach in that sense well there you can take that as license to well then i'm going to have to ask you to leave um because you're causing disruption here well the bible says come as you are it says come to christ for salvation Come as you are. You are a sinner. Bring everything, everything that you are, bring it to Christ and ask him to save you from your sins. And then he, he will save you and help you to change and, and you start your, your growth and maturity in Christianity. So um, people that come in that, that manner, uh, I just see them as personally troubled. And I want I would want to try to help them to see what the word of God actually says on this. And that dressing provocatively and all that actually is sin. That's all. That's how I answered that one. Okay. Right, Jenna says, can you touch on the subject of night terrors? I've been praying over my child, but I don't know if it's the bullying at school that's affecting him, or could it be demonic? He's so young, under 10 years old. When he wakes up, it looks like he's possessed, having a nightmare that lasts at least a few minutes. Okay, yeah. Um, I know this very well. I used to suffer that a lot. Every great once in a while, it still happens to me. Uh, generally, uh, if I've been quite active in the world of missionary work with occultists, uh, so I'll go out of my way to contact witches, Satanists, occultists, giving them the gospel, witnessing to them, and doing things like this always, <laughs> always uh, has a form of retribution where, where the enemy will, will attack you to try to dissuade you, upset you, and harm you, scare you off, all that kind of thing, trouble you uh, just because you troubled them. Um, yeah. Sleep paralysis and night terrors... Um, Sleep paralysis and night terrors generally, generally, is demonically driven. Um, there can be other factors where, yes, bullying can psychologically trouble, and they could be in a state of fear and trouble and PTSD from this, and it can affect their dreams, their imagination. It affects their sleep. Yes, absolutely. But this is where the enemy comes in and rides on this. Um, things that are physical. Things that are straight up physical, mental, physical, and that kind of makeup. You'll notice um, a difference when something actually is spiritually driven. When the name of Jesus Christ is mentioned and the trouble stops, that's a pretty strong red flag right there that the issue in and of itself was spiritual. Um, that there's something else going on there. 
something much more deep. Um, <clears throat> sleep paralysis is demonic straight up. And there, there are, I'll say it. You can correct me if I'm wrong uh, or whatever, but you got to show me from the word of God. Sleep paralysis itself is generally, primarily all spiritually driven. Because whenever this happens and you have sleep paralysis and you cry out to the Lord Jesus Christ, it stops. And there's there's evil, wicked uh, dreams and, and visions and things going on at the same time simultaneously. Every Everybody who has sleep paralysis, they all say the same thing. That they are having a nightmares, night terrors. They have visions or dreams of, of, of horrific things. Something attacking them, something dark holding them. That's demonic. Night terrors, as the, so the Lord is not a terror, a terror to good works. The Lord does not give us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. So we see night terror of waking up in that kind of state, uh, almost like a hypnotic-like terror state. That is demonic. That's demonic. Um, that's my personal beliefs. That's my personal opinion on that one. You can disagree, but that's what I'm saying on that. From my personal experiences, the things I've seen and done, and from my past life where I was, before I got saved, I was in the world of the occult. I <laughs> knew a lot about that kind of stuff and read about and, and experienced and taught all about that. that yeah, this, this is what it is. And we see in the Word of God, we're backing it up, how the demonic works, what the demonic does. Uh, fits of uncontrollable behavior, an uncontrollable mind, uncontrollable attitude, uncontrollable fear. That's demonic. That's straight up demonic. Okay, um, how to deal with that? Well, I've personally found that what, what's a great help, well, Firstly, being born again saved. Being born again saved is the, one of the first great big steps in this. Uh, but the Christians can still be affected by this. The scriptures talk about how the Lord holds the reins of our heart in the night season. That's about night times how, how the Lord uh, comes over us and he holds us and protects us while we sleep. Now, the demonic is unable to achieve control of the Christian's mind unless you invite them. And the thing about when you're sleeping is you're not actively guarding your mind and it's easier for the demonic to insert suggestions and thoughts and sensations and imaginations in your mind while you're sleeping. So the, uh, the angel of the Lord encamps around about those that, that, that honor him and trust him and that fear him. So the, uh, the Lord holds us and protects us when we're honoring him and, and fearing him and following him. Now, the thing about this we see is actually calling upon the Lord to set a hedge of protection about us before we go to sleep. I have personally found that nights where I forget to pray and forget to ask the Lord to help guide and guard and, and to protect my mind and my dreams, I, I have found vastly that nights that I have forgotten to pray and ask the Lord to protect, those are nights that I have nightmares and, and sleep problems and all kinds of other stuff. So actively set, setting up a spiritual guard, a prayer and Bible reading, calling upon the Lord, asking the Lord to protect us is is very important very very important asking asking the lord to take the reins of our heart in the night season to be over us to protect us help us to sleep so 
yeah so that's what i would say on that one there are other things you could do about uh playing scripture or whatever while you sleep but then again you're treating the bible like a magic amulet and that's not what it's meant for the word of god is meant for personal study not being used as like a magic ward kind of thing though you could do it but again the devils aren't scared of hearing bible devils go to church satan quotes scripture what it is is the belief of faith the prayer of faith it's the it's the words of believing faith that that actually fights them and opposes them so that's what i'll say on that one uh, okay dean says a couple of churches i went to people seem to just laugh for no reason i'm looking like looking at what's going on i fell asleep at one church and everyone was laughing and joking when i woke up then became serious again. What gives? This happens so many times. Like I'm on my own. Am I on my own in this walk? Uh, that does sound weird. Um, if I can ask, what church do you go to? What denomination? Is it a charismatic Pentecostal church? Is it a charismatic Pentecostal type church? If so, then that explains everything. Um, and a lot of those denominations, you see those kinds of things of what they call holy laughter, holy rolling, holy barking, holy howling, and the, the, the weird tongues thing and all that other kind of weird, crazy stuff that they do. Um, yeah, so if that's the case, I would say leave that church and find a good Bible teaching one. I'd say leave it. Get out of there. Uh, their doctrines are flawed. They don't teach uh, uh, right doctrine. They're very flawed in many ways. Um, and if you want to know more about that, I can walk you through it. But yeah, I would say get out of there. Go find a proper Bible teaching church. Yeah, Jenna says, I don't know why I, I didn't think of praying with him before we sleep. I used to do that a while ago because of nightmares I used to have. I need to slow down and pray more. Thank you so much. Hey, God bless. God bless. Okay, um, yeah, so I got a couple more things here. Now, you'll notice in, um, in going through this, uh, all these questions and topics, uh, you see how I'm using the biblical study method of the clear interprets the unclear and using the Berean method. What it says is what it means. Understanding what scripture says very clearly on a topic, and we go from there. Uh, from everything from the creation account of biblical creationism which is 100 percent true um you, you walk through the specific words what it says it's not metaphorical it's not allegorical it's not it's not parable it's literal literal words of direct language this actually happened this is how it is all the way through scripture and uh, and we believe what scripture says over our our opinions of view well i don't see i don't think i don't feel that that genesis creation account is literal okay but your opinions are irrelevant god says it and let alone jesus in the gospels actually actually reaffirms the creation account actually mentions it again and how this is how it is and how he formed adam and, and all the rest of it that this is how it is so what it says what it means we got to hold to this and people's opinions and practices and traditions and and feelings and senses and experiences are all irrelevant what scripture says is true okay 
Rosalie says, since being born again, I lost interest in other books. There's nothing that nourishes me like the Bible does. It's been four years that I read the Bible almost every day and it never gets boring. That's good. That's good. Amen. And that's the thing you also find. And many people won't admit it. Many people won't admit it. But the reason by... um, the majority of most cases where people go go off on on the catechisms and creeds and commentaries and other other biblical sources for for understanding doctrine and theology and and other stuff like that is because they're bored with this they just want a quick answer they just want they just want to be told what to believe and not have to do the study themselves so they go after other individuals who seem to have it all wired down. And they say, just just tell us what to believe. And so they hear the catechisms, the commentaries, and other people's opinions and feelings and interpretations and stuff, and they don't do the study themselves. The reason people go angling after other, other uh, religious books and prayer books and devotional books is just because they're bored at this and they don't want to study this. That shows a spiritual battle you got to think about it. What would want to keep you from the Bible and the Bible alone for all study, all search, and all, and all devotion? Where your, your doctrines become as weak as mouse milk. And uh, you can't hold, you can't hold a, a candle to the flame. So we, we need to get back to the root source. We need to get back to the Word of God and study it and hold it and search it Believe it, memorize it, and hold to it, and nothing else. Now, yes, you can find good stuff in other things. Like I even mentioned yesterday how I was looking at Matthew Henry's commentary uh, on regards to one point in the study of yesterday. But again, I don't use Matthew Henry to interpret the Bible. I see what the scriptures say, and I see what the interpretation of scripture is. I just say, okay, what other people have to say. They might have an, another angle that might help me see something. But ultimately, this is my authority, not Matthew Henry, not John Calvin, not MacArthur, not Augustine, not anyone else. What the Bible says, what scripture says, this is all I need. And the moment I get bored at this, and the moment that I start upholding other sources as my inspiration, I've lost all point. I've lost all focus. I've lost all purpose. I fail. I failed the work the moment I use anything else to interpret the word of God. So there you go. Yeah, and Satan can keep you away from the Bible if you let him. That's right. That's right. Um, okay, so any other comments, questions, issues, insights, anything else at all? Um, we've been going for... An hour 58. Okay, almost two hours. All right, I have uh, one more thing on the board here I just want to bring up. Now, I have talked about this before many times. I'm just going to mention it again. All right. In using our method, our Bible study method, I, I call it Warhammer Apologetics. That's what Christian Coffee Time uses at uh, how we teach Bible study, we teach doctrine, theology, how we search the scriptures, Warhammer apologetics. Uh, it's just what it says is what it means, and we swing the Warhammer, the Word of God, and anything that gets in the way is going to be smashed. 
what it says, what it means. And it's, it's, and we hit hard, then we don't apologize. And we see in 2 Corinthians 10, that it talks about the weapons of our warfare and our carnal. And we see uh, in Hebrews, it talks about the sword of the word of God, but also weapons, plural. You ever notice that? The weapons, plural, of our warfare, not carnal. So it's more than one weapon. So we are dual wielding. <laughs> so we see the sword of the word of God. When we go back to Jeremiah 23, verse 29, it says, Is not my word as a fire and like a hammer that breaks the stone to pieces? So you see, the Bible is a sharp, uh, sharper than any two-edged sword. It's a sword, it's sharp, and it's a billowing fire. And it's a war hammer. It hits hard and smashes the opinions of men. It pierces to the heart and it consumes like a fire. That's how we use it. That's how we use it. So we use Warhammer apologetics on all things that come across our table. And this is how we hold to the word of God. Now in using this, I want to be tactful here i want to be careful but at the same time i'm not going to apologize by any stretch of the imagination for what i'm about to say i don't care what your feelings are i don't care what your experiences are i don't care what what your opinions are i don't care what government says i don't care what society says abortion is murder and there is not one single uh, example or instance or circumstance that would ever 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 justify murdering a child because of of, of of negative problems upon the mother you don't murder children because something bad happened to you or something bad is happening you don't murder children for the benefit of the parent I don't care what anyone says on that one. I don't care what your opinions and feelings are. There is not one single possible example that's a justification for butchering, murdering, slaughtering children for the benefit of the parent. Now, having said that, I'm not sure if you're aware of the most recent bill that was passed in Colorado, United States. I kind of am at a loss for words. Colorado has passed a bill that now allows mothers to abandon their babies to die up to two days after birth. If they choose that they don't want the child anymore, they can abort the baby up to two days after birth. A fully birthed baby two days after birth they can hand it back to the doctor say i don't want it and the doctor will leave it to die it's no longer an argument of it's just a clump of cells it's they're no longer doing that that's it this, this proves it this proves it right there it's not a, a clump of cells argument anymore it's a fully formed fully birthed baby and you're deliberately murdering it because you don't want it yeah go look it up go look it up what the the bills that they pass of a full term abortions full term abortions 
partial birth abortions. The baby is on its way out of the mother and they can choose to abort it at that moment and the doctor will take the baby's life at the moment of birth. Partial birth abortion, full birth abortion, and two day after birth abortions. It's not a, it's a clump of cells argument anymore. You're a clump of cells. I'm a clump of cells. That's that's a stupid thing. They fought if 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 they found one single cell of anything on Mars or Pluto or anywhere else out in outer space, they if they found one cell, they would call it life. But a forming baby in the womb is not life. It's not life. It's just a clump of cells. It's not life. But they'll call a single-celled organism anywhere in the house uh, in outer if they if they found it, which they never will. But if they found one, they would call it life. But apparently, a baby in the womb isn't life. But what does the Bible say? What does the Bible say? The Bible says life begins at conception. You have to, you have, you have an identity as a person before God Almighty at the moment of conception. The Bible teaches it. And I'll walk you through it. Look at Psalms 139. If you have your Bibles handy, I would like you to turn to Psalms 139. I want to show you something. So you can show other people when you when if you ever have this talk with other people. I want you to see this. Psalms 139. Psalms 139. Look what it says. Verse 13. Okay. Psalms 139, verse 13. For thou hast possessed my reins, thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made marvelous are thy works and that my soul knoweth right well my substance do you do you know what that means when it says my substance that is literally your dna and everything that comes from the egg of the mother and the dna of the father everything that makes up your very being, the stuff that that comes together to form. My substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret. When the mom and dad come together and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth, thine eyes did see my substance yet being unperfect. I'm not even fully formed yet. I'm still... Not completely formed yet. I'm unperfect. And in thy book, all my members are written, which in continuance were fashioned, as you grew in the womb, which in continuance were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. How did the writer know that that's how that all went down in the womb? And let alone, look what it said talking about. Is a personal identity. I'm a person with a soul in the womb of my mother. 
Psalms 139, 13 to 16. You're a person, you're a human, you have life at the very moment of conception. That's what it says. And deliberately ending that is murder. Deliberately ending that is murder. Prove me wrong. Abortion at any stage for any purpose irregardless of circumstances abortion is flat out 100% of the time murder it's abomination to God it's infanticide it's child murder and is purely just sacrificing children to the altar of selfishness and pride saying other lives are lesser than yours and other people must die so as not to inconvenience you not to inconvenience self it's never right to murder children irregardless of the circumstances and any that do must be stopped all that do abort deny the word of god and deliberately blind themselves and delude themselves to thinking god is okay with it when he clearly denounces it as a, as a demonic and evil thing now there are individuals who pipe up and say well well god in in the book of numbers had had a ritual for uh, where he would uh, cause abortions to occur no he did not that ritual which you're talking about what uh, of uh, testing the faithfulness of the wife if she was uh, uh, perceived to have been an adulterer an adulteress uh, they bring before the the high priest and they make her drink the bitter waters they added in newer Bible translations, they added the part about where she would lose the fruit of her womb. They added that in. That's not found in the original Hebrew uh, uh, Old Testament text. It says her thigh will rot. That means that that means her be- her belly and all this uh, curse will come upon her belly and her, her thigh and her womb for her adultery. But it says absolutely nothing, nothing, nothing about losing the fruit of her womb, of, of an abortion kind of thing happening. Nowhere, nowhere does it say that in the original Hebrew text. They added that as a form of justification for modern abortion practices. They deliberately added to the word of God to try to justify abortion in our modern society. It's not found in the original Hebrew texts. Because abortion, child murder, is wrong. God is always against that. He's always opposed to that. Let alone, he says in Deuteronomy, he says not to, not to pass your children through the fire. That means to kill children. To sacrifice children. So give that some thought. Anyway, Psalms 139, 13 to 16, flat out says that you're a human human person with an identity before God at the moment of conception. So there you go. So liberal, liberal modern Christianity is abomination to God, twisting of scripture and denying the righteousness of God, reducing seriousness of sin, making abomination the accepted norm, and air conditioning hell. The brides of Moloch instruct society's morals, mock Christ, spit in the face of God, and and professed Christians refuse to oppose them. 
Christ himself wouldn't be allowed in most most pulpits today because he'd be seen as too judgmental and not up with today's standards. God help us and have mercy on us. How the devil goes to church when the saints of God refuse to stand up. So there you go. So we're seeing it. As just as it says in Psalms 9.17, the wicked shall be turned to hell and every nation that forgets God. We're seeing it. When a nation prides itself as abortion central, you know God is nowhere to be found in it. So there you go. Prove me wrong. What does the word of God say? Warhammer, oh, sorry. Warhammer apologetics. Now, some women say, uh, 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 some people, some families, some, some, some couples, they realize after the fact where they may have had abortion. What does God say about that? There is forgiveness. There is forgiveness. Confess that it was wrong. Call upon the Lord, ask him to forgive you, and he is faithful. All sins shall be forgiven them to the sons of men. The Lord will forgive. The Lord is merciful. Recant those things. Uh, repent of that, that, that stuff. Ask the Lord to forgive you for that, and he will. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And as a Christian, where you realize that abortion, uh, that sin and abomination, all this stuff, you have, a ch uh, you have another child in heaven waiting for you who will meet you with open arms. That's how I always uh, bring it across, is uh, you, have a, you have a child in heaven waiting for you. That child's waiting for you. That, and one person even asked me, well, well uh, the, the, this person had abortions. Say, well, can, can my children forgive me? Say, absolutely, absolutely. Your children are waiting for you in heaven. They forgive you utterly. And they're waiting at the gates of heaven with their arms wide open, waiting to embrace you. They forgive you because they are in the righteousness of God. And, and because they are sinless before God in heaven, standing with him, they forgive you and accept you just as much as the Lord does. Worry not, fear not, doubt not. The Lord forgives you utterly. He cleanses you and forgives you. Repent of your sin. Repent of those things. Call upon the Lord. He will cleanse you. He will forgive you. He is faithful, even when we are not. He is faithful and just. He is faithful and just, even when we are not. And then all sins will be forgiven. And I'll be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. So worry not. So there you go. I just want to get that across just as something just to consider as we're coming into such a pagan, pagan, pagan age. So, so heathen and pagan. It's unbelievable. And it's going to get worse, folks. It's going to get worse. We're told as in the days of Noah, the days of Sodom and Gomorrah, it's, it's going to get worse. We're going to see more and more paganism and abomination, idolatry sweeping our nations and societies. It's going to make our heads spin. Embrace yourselves. And the only way to combat, the only way to com combat this is by the word of God and prayer. Word of God and prayer. 
it is it's not of me it's not of my words my wisdom my feelings my experiences my opinions not of me it's nothing of me it's all of him it's all of him just like my salvation nothing of me all of him my walk in christ nothing of me all of him what he says so what scripture says amen so there you go folks any any uh, other comments questions issues insights anything else at all please oh wrong one that one want that one uh please uh, go ahead ask away uh, please go ahead and ask away so um again check out um uh, check out uh, our website we got links to all our other platforms links to all their goodies as well as our pdf links to our gospel tracks please take advantage of that please take advantage of that you have no excuse <laughs> no excuse uh we have we offer it in multiple ways uh, uh, it can mail you packets of tracks. Uh, we have our downloadable links uh, uh, to, to our gospel tracks. You can print them off yourself. And as well as we have um, uh, playlists on how to witness, how to evangelize, how, how to uh, spread gospel tracks, all that kind of stuff. So get busy. Get busy about it. So there you go. Um, and Rosalie, in Germany, they want to legally allow marriage of four people. I, I know why. <laughs> I know why. The same the same reason why in Utah, in Utah, United States, you, you can you can do that. Why polygamy is allowed? Because of uh, because of the overwhelming uh, inspiration of a certain religion. You'll notice they never brought that in until after uh, uh, before that religion came in. But a certain religion came in and became so pronounced, uh, so dominant that they are now modifying laws and stuff to make way for that religion that teaches that kind of thing. That's why. But according to the word of God, polygamy is not permitted. Polygamy is not a thing. You see, it's one man, one woman. One man, one woman. Yes, individuals did have more than one wife against the will of God. Against the will of God. Uh, it was Adam and Eve, not Adam and Eve and Sarah and Jessica and, and Amy and whatever else. But uh, what the Bible says, it's Adam and Eve. It's one man that the two become one flesh. The two become one flesh. It's Jesus Christ and the church, not Jesus Christ and the church and this and this and this and this. It's the two become one. So we see is a picture all in there uh, of, of marriage, a picture of family, the picture of relationship. It's uh, the two become one flesh, Adam and Eve. So polygamy goes against, goes against the very foundation, the very, the very thing that God tries to get across in his word. Uh, polygamy is nothing but unbridled lust. That's all it is. Polygamy is nothing but unbridled lust. There you go. Okay. I'm actually getting quite winded. We got for two hours, 18 minutes. I think that's pretty much everything on the board. So that's, yep. Yep. Clean board. All right. So there you go. So if you have anything else, uh, if not, we'll wrap this up. Um, yeah. So there you go. So thank you so much for joining in, folks, as well. Uh, again, check out our website. We've got links to all other platforms. 
uh, we got links to our merch shops as well, our Redbubble and Etsy. On Etsy, we have our bookmarks and posters and all kinds of stuff. As well as uh, we have a few Bibles here, as Christian Coffee Time also provides free Bibles to those who don't have one. Uh, so it's uh, we try to use these ones, but we can't get other ones. Um, is uh, as we, we try to make sure everybody has a Bible, and if you don't have a Bible and you want a Bible, contact us. We'll send you one. Um, now we we have a very limited stock, so keep that in mind. Uh, and we also provide gospel tracts, and we provide witnessing and evangelism teaching and instruction. As I'm a street preacher and evangelist, I'm a, I'm a missionary of the gospel of jesus christ so this is how i work this is what i focus on so if you need help and training and how to witness and evangelize let me know and i'd be more than happy to help you out and here on christian coffee time we provide free bible teaching that's what our broadcasts are all about so if you want uh, uh bible teaching bible studies we provide that and we are also on podcasts if you don't have time to watch the videos and to follow along with the videos we also have uh, our podcasts which you can listen to which you can access through our website as well they'll take you over and show you the different uh platforms our podcasts are on and uh, we what we do is actually just upload the mp3 file of our videos so we take our our video broadcast and we just strip the mp3 and upload it for the podcast so you can follow along in that way so we do many different walkthroughs we do the gospel of john we did hebrews and galatians and revelation and many others that we're working on so please make sure you avail yourself to that and on the weekends of course as you see we do the q a's so we try to reach many uh, different ways and angles and things trying to help out many different studies and arguments and and discussions so check it all out if you need help finding something let us know we'll help we'll help you uh, find it and if we don't have it we'll try to work at getting it for you so and so we're very uh bible centric uh, we're fundamental conservative born-again christians the fundamentals of the word of god which are the doctrines conservative value what it says is what it means on the word of god and the word of god is our final absolute authority in all aspects of faith and practice of faith we are born-again christians that believe in the lord god jesus christ by grace through faith to belief alone period not by works not by baptism not by anything else and uh, we believe that completely what the word of god says we are young earth creationists we believe what the bible says about creation just as it says what it says what it means so there you go so i hope you appreciate that i hope you enjoy that and if you don't well tough <laughs> all right so there we go uh with that we're gonna wrap that up there so thank you so much for joining in god bless you folks god bless all those who love our lord god jesus christ god bless all those who love his holy word hope to see you again and as always if i don't see you again I'll see you in the sky. God bless.